You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. I'm grateful to be here tonight. I don't have the opportunity to, to uh, talk to you very often, so David doesn't invite me. But um, but I'm glad to be here. So uh, I know that you guys are talking about prayer, and uh, and so I just want to give you guys some some ideas and some some uh, some thoughts about prayer that I think are really important. Um, first of all, I want to read you a story. Some of you have maybe heard this before, but. Um, I just thought it was really cool. It says a missionary on furlough told this true story while visiting his home church in Michigan. He said, while serving at a small hospital in Africa, every two weeks I traveled by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. This was a journey of two days and required camping overnight at the halfway point. On one of these journeys, I arrived in the city where I planned to collect money from a bank, purchase medicine and supplies, and then begin my two-day journey back to the field hospital. Upon arrival in the city, I observed two men fighting, one of them who had been seriously injured. I treated him for his injuries and at the same time talked to him about the Lord. I then traveled two days, camping overnight, and arrived home without incident. Two weeks later, I repeated my journey. Upon arriving in the city, I was approached by the young man I had treated. He told me that he had known I carried money and medicines. He said, some friends and I followed you into the jungle knowing you would camp overnight. We planned to kill you and take your money and drugs, medicine. But just as we were about to move into your camp, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 armed guards. At this, I laughed and said that I was certainly all alone in the jungle campsite. The young man pressed the point, however, and said, No, sir, I was not the only person to see the guards. My friends also saw them, and we all counted them. It was because of those guards that we were afraid and left you alone. At this point in the sermon, one of the men in the congregation jumped to his feet and interrupted the missionary and asked if he could tell him the exact day this happened. The missionary told the congregation the date, and the man who interrupted told him this story. On the night of your incident in Africa, it was morning here and I was preparing to go play golf. I was about to putt when I felt the urge to pray for you. In fact, the urging of the Lord was so strong, I called men in in this church to meet with me here in the sanctuary to pray for you. Would all of those men who met with me on that day stand up? The men who had met together to pray that day stood up. The missionary wasn't concerned with who they are because he was too busy counting how many men there were. There were 26. Prayer matters. Prayer does something. Prayer is not a joke. Prayer is not just something that we do for fun as Christians. Prayer is something that could be the difference between life and death. Prayer is something that is not only important, it is vital. And I think that a prayerless Christian is like someone trying to push a car out of a ditch by himself, not knowing that Superman is the passenger in the front seat. In other words, walking around saying, man, I don't know what to do, not praying, thinking, you know, here you are trying to push a car out of the ditch, and you've got the answer sitting right next to you. We have the God of the universe. We have Jesus Christ. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. And oftentimes we say, I'm too busy to pray. Now I know that you guys are in the furnace, and so you guys are required to pray. So some of this is going to be notes that you'll take for when you get out of the furnace. <laughs> but let me tell you a few things about prayer, and I think some of this will apply to, your, to being in the furnace. 
first thing is that real prayer does not come from gritting your teeth, but from falling in love. Real prayer does not come from gritting your teeth, but from falling in love. In other words, it is not about saying, okay, I've got to pray today, and I'm going to pray really hard because I'm going to pray because I'm a prayer machine. I'm a prayer monster. <laughs> and just diving in and just, I've got I to get in there. Because I think prayer is less about time and it's more about a relationship. I would rather go in and spend five minutes talking to God and interacting with the God of the universe and talking with, having a moment with Jesus than I would that you go in for an hour and all you're doing is walking around pacing and not really doing much of anything. See, because it's not just zealousness is not a reflection of devotion. How loud you scream into a microphone is not a reflection of your devotion. How many times you pace across this auditorium how fast you pace is not a reflection of your devotion. How loud you scream, how long you stay on your knees, how long you jump and dance, how long you hold your hands up, zealousness is not a reflection of devotion. Friendship and fruit is. Friendship and fruit is a reflection of devotion. Friendship with God and the fruit of your life. Real prayers don't come from gritting your teeth. Real prayer comes from falling in love. So my encouragement to you is to be an effective prayer, is to be a great lover, a lover of God. If you find yourself having a hard time praying, don't pray harder. Fall deeper in love. Get to know Jesus more. If you find yourself coming in and saying, well, I fulfilled my duty this week, but I don't know where I got, if I got anywhere. Well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but it's kind of drudgerous. Fall in love with Jesus. It's not about gritting your teeth. Well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to push through. I've got to get my ring. <laughs> Fall in love with Jesus. Because, see, prayer, prayer is not the end. Prayer isn't the goal. Well, I prayed. That's not the, that's not the, that's not the end result. That's not the end desired uh, ending point. The discipline of, of prayer is not the end in itself. The end in itself is friendship with God and fruit of your life. And out of that, God does stuff. Prayer changes things. It also changes us. And none of us will keep up a life of prayer if we're not willing and prepared to change. You can pray for a little while, but if you pray long enough, and if you're loving God long enough, He's going to say, you know what? Joe Couch, there's this little area in your life that I really want to deal with. I really want to fix. Colton, I got some areas. And you're like, whoa, 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 I'm praying. I'm like, I'm, I'm, what do you mean like fix? I... Because if you're going to fall in love with Jesus, he's going to talk to you. And he's going to tell you things. And it's not always going to be sweet nothings in your ear. He might actually tell you, you're too prideful. Actually, I guess it goes like this. You're too prideful. 
I want you to be more humble. You're not treating girls very well. No wonder you don't go out on any dates. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Your prayer life will not be sustained if you're not willing to change. Prayer is an open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. Without Jesus we can't do anything. So, if you want to be an effective prayer, if you want to be able to, to sustain, develop relationship with Jesus. A failure in our prayer life is generally a failure to know Jesus. You ever have those people that call you up? You're like, hello? They're like, hey, what's up? And you're like, not much. What are you doing? And you're like, and they're like, well, I'm just like hanging out here at Starbucks. Really? Uh, how's that going? You know, and you're, you're asking these questions, trying to figure out who it is. Because they didn't say, hey, this is Aaron or this is Joe, or this is Colton, or this is Rachel, and you're like, and before, after a while, you're like, oh man, I just hope that they don't ask me a specific question, because I don't know who they are. And, and after a while, you either have to do one of two things, go, hang up on them, or say, who is this? Now, if I called you every day, I could, and I called you every day for the next month, in one month, if I called you up and you picked up the phone and said, hey, how's it going? You would know exactly who it is. I would not need to say, hi, this is Aaron Stern. Why? Because you recognize my voice. I wonder how many times Jesus is like, hey, and you're like, how's it going? What are you doing? And he says, well, I'm at Starbucks. <laughs> and you're like, what are you doing there? Hanging out with David Perkins? <laughs> okay, who hangs out with David Perkins? Who hangs out with David? It, I wonder sometimes if it's not God saying, hey, and we don't know who he is. And if we knew who he is, who he was, recognize his voice, if our prayer life wouldn't be a little different. To be effective prayers, we need to be effective lovers. But you might say, well, I just, I don't know, I just don't feel it. I just don't feel this relationship with God. Like, like I've tried and I'm, I do everything that David says. I sit at Starbucks with my vanilla latte. I try and sit in the same chair as David. I try to do the exact same, th same things. I read the same books. I get my, my little everything out. I have these God moments. I say the same things. I like call God like you know, like, I, I tell them that I just, like, want to be the fellowship of the burning hearts. I tell them all these things, like, like, I do all that. I just don't feel it. It's not about feelings. Prayer is not about feelings. Now, does that mean that we never feel God? No. But it is not about feelings. Because the truth is that God hears us when we pray. God hears us when we pray. 20, Psalm chapter 26, verse 8. says, I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Sorry. 
Psalm 28, 6. That's 26, 8. 28, 6. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. God hears us, whether we feel it or not. And you say, well, I just don't feel it. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't hear his voice. I... Are you reading your Bible? Because he who reads his Bible and knows his Bible the most, hears God the best. But I don't feel it. You know what? I don't always feel in love with my wife. I love my wife with all of my heart. I love my boys with all of my heart. I don't always feel it. But I know that she loves me and that I love her. But I don't feel it. Does that mean that I should just leave because I don't feel it? Does it mean I shouldn't do it because I don't feel it? Does it mean that I can't, shouldn't go out on a date? You know what? I go out on dates with my wife and I don't feel like I'm in love. Now, does that mean, it doesn't mean I'm like going out on dates and hate it. But what I'm saying is, we go out, we're sitting across the table for one another, we're eating like food, and I'm drinking my Mountain Dew, and we're having a good time, and I'm not like feeling any goosebumps. I'm not like swooning. She's not like, oh. Yeah, actually she is. But but I mean, you know, when we talk, we talk about our day, we talk about our finances, we talk about the car that's not working, we talk about how we're going to raise our kids, and then we go home and we go to bed. So you say, oh, that's easy to understand that you're not like always, you know, feeling in love with your wife at work, but when you go out on a date, you feel romantic. Not always. Not always. But it's about getting close to each other's heart. It's about knowing each other. It's about loving each other. It's about being a good lover. Being a good lover doesn't mean that we always feel it. And whether I feel it or not, I want to be a good lover to my wife. Prayer is about a relationship. I know you guys have talked a lot about that. There's two ideas that I want to communicate to you that I think are really important. The first one is that, and this is probably one of the ways that I have found that probably my prayer life has improved, uh, improved is kind of a weird word, but that my prayer life has developed and grown over the last year. And I've been a Christian for the majority of my life, grew, became a Christian when I was a little kid, grew up in a Christian home been taught about prayer, prayed, been to prayer meetings, prayed all night, prayed, fasted, done all that stuff, a good portion, if not most of my life. And just this last year, kind of came across some new ideas that re- just brought my, my relationship and my prayer life to a new level. And it was all about understanding God as Father. You know, the the, uh, 
Lord's Prayer. I'm trying to think of what that was called. The Lord's Prayer. <laughs> the Lord's Prayer starts off with our Father who art in heaven. Such a powerful statement. We oftentimes blow over that portion of that particular scripture. We read throughout the Bible so quickly. Do you know that in John chapter 14 through John chapter 17 that Jesus is praying and he uses Father 47 times as Jesus is praying. And I thought, I don't, honestly, when I pray, I don't use the word Father very often. I use God, I use Father God. I love, I, sometimes I love coming into furnace prayer meetings because you get to hear multiple, multiple names of God, especially all in one prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, Father God, I just pray that you would be my Jesus Christ, Father, Lover, God. And so, God, I just pray that you would be, I pray that I have a great day, Father, Lord Jesus, and I pray that you keep me safe, God, Father, Lord Jesus. If my boys talk to me like that, I think that I would go nuts. You know, if Parker, my oldest, he's five, came up to me and he says, Dad, Father, Judge, Maker of me, Protector, Provider, good to see you today, Father, Lord, Jesus, no, you're not Jesus. Maker of me, protector, provider for me. Thank you. I had a great day. Parker, did you, what did you do in preschool? Well, well, dad, father, my friend, my, my dad, my, I, went, I learned about the letter H. Dad, father, protector, provider. I'd be like, stop it. I wonder if God is like, and you're like, dear Lord Jesus, father, God, king of the universe. He's like, stop it. I wonder if he would just love, if we would just come to him and say, Father, and then pray. Or maybe instead of just Father, because I don't know about you, but I never have called my dad Father, though Father, unless I was making a joke. <laughs> I call him Dad. So, biblical translation of the word Father, which was very much an appropriate term for a dad in the Jewish culture, translated into 2007 here in America, word translates dad. What if we were to just say, dad, thanks for this day. And then right there, I promise you, you will have to think and stop in your prayer because you're going to want to say, Lord Jesus, Father God. <laughs> and then you're going to want to say, dad, but I, don't want, I want you to say dad maybe once, maybe twice at the very most in your whole prayer. Because my son, Parker, does not call me dad a hundred times in a prayer or in a conversation. I don't call my dad dad more than once or maybe twice. So why is it that we have all of a sudden gone crazy calling God, Father God, Jesus, Lord, Savior, King of the universe, all the time? A couple times in one sentence. I just love it. It's awesome. It's really entertaining, actually. I don't know about you, but for me, 
This has changed my prayer life. And one of the reasons is because it helps me to realize who I am. See, because we oftentimes are Lord Jesus, God, Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the universe, God, King. (laughs) This cracks me up. But if when you call him Dad, it reminds me that I'm his son. It reminds me of the love that he has for me. And I think probably for many of you, it's going to be difficult. And it's not just because you're used to saying, Father, Lord, Jesus Christ. (laughs) But because Dad has such a powerful meaning for you. For some of you, to say Dad is going to be really tough. But there is something about getting on your knees and saying, Dad, I don't know about you, but when I get on that point, there's just something that happens and it, 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 it to me, communicates and facilitates relationship. Father Gord, God, Lord, Father Gord. It's like the, it's the Thanksgiving Jesus. Father God, Jesus Christ, It's great. That is what he is. I'm not saying that we cannot call him those things. But when I call him dad, when I pray and I call him dad, it does something to me. It communicates something to me and it puts me in the position of being a son. I'm convinced that God wants to be our father. One of the things that I think we're not so good at is being children. We're not so good at being sons. We're not so good at being daughters. God's just saying, come to me. Have, has, how many of you seen the movie Evan Almighty? I just saw that movie like two weeks ago for the first time. I loved it. And one of the reasons that I loved it was the Morgan Freeman character, you know, he plays God, is he just, his interaction with um, Evan, Steve Carell is the actor's name, you know, the, the guy that he's wanting to be Noah, basically, is his interaction with him is so awesome. I mean, he's laughing with him and kind of playing around with him. And and I thought, I think that's probably one of the more accurate pictures of God that we've seen in a long time. That somehow we've got this stained glass God, this like way off in the sky, like too busy with figuring out the universe God. And God's like laughing. And God's saying, just call me dad. I'm not talking about being irreverent. I'm talking about a relationship. Try it. For the next, let's see, what day is this? When are you guys going on break? Saturday? You guys never take a break, though. Okay, for, for the next week or two, every time you pray, try and cut out Jesus Christ, Lord, Father, Superstar, And just call him dad. That's it. And I want you to say dad once, maybe twice in a prayer. That's it. Try it. Okay? Do it for me. Don't do it for me. Do it for you. Do it for God. But do it because I told you to. And tell me what happens.
You guys can talk about it in your accountability groups. I believe that some of you will experience relationship with God for the first time. Now, I don't say, I'm not saying that you don't have a relationship with God, but I'm just saying your relationship with, with God will become so much more real because all of a sudden, I believe what you've done is tapped into and connected into the position that you're supposed to be in. Son, daughter, to dad. For me, changed my prayer life. First John chapter 3, one of my fir- favorite verses in the whole Bible, says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. So reiterated three times in one verse, we are children of God. And what will... What and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Talks about experiencing God as Father, knowing him as a as a child. And then it goes on to say that somebody hasn't else hasn't seen him yet. I wonder if we don't experience God in this way, that we don't actually reflect more of God. Because, it says when we, let's see, and what we has not, not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. In another translation it says, and when you see him, you will be more like him. I wonder if when we don't talk to him as dad, we might not see him more clearly, and then we will become more like him, and then more people will see him in us. Try it. Next two weeks, all of your prayers, start with dad. Don't say dad more than twice. And don't say Father God, Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Try it. Some of you are going to be like, I don't know what I'm going to pray. (laughs) The other thing that I think that praying like that does and putting us into a position where we recognize and remember our, our position as sons and daughters is that it helps us overcome pride. As I said a little bit earlier, prayer is an open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. Prayer is the antidote to pride. But I think that we can still have pride in our lives and actually even take pride in our prayers. We need more humility in our lives. If you were at Fall Retreat, Mill Fall Retreat last month, one of the things that I talked about was that if you are more humble, you will hear God more. Talked about how Moses talked to God face to face and a few verses earlier in the book of Numbers talks about the fact that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And Moses wrote it. Humility connects us to God. So this is what I want to do. I want to give you a couple of indicators because I don't think anybody's like, oh, Aaron, I'm going to be prideful and show you you're wrong. Nobody is like that. I haven't met anybody and certainly nobody in here. So this is what I want to do. I want to give you some signposts on the road of pride 
and I want to give you some signposts on the road of humility. Number one, signpost on the road of pride. You are yearning for praise and human accolades. You are looking for other people to praise you. Tell you how great you are, tell you what a good job you've done. Number two, you keep score. What you have or what you've done versus what others haven't done or don't have. Number three, you have you're cultivating a creator complex. What I mean by that is that you want to make, if you're in a leadership position, your goal is to make other people like you. It's an indicator of pride. Number four, you rejoice in others' failures and you resent others' successes. You rejoice in others' failures and you resent other people's successes. Number five is a compulsion to defend yourself against criticism. You are compelled. If you hear somebody criticize you, it, you cannot sleep at night. You're like, I've got to defend myself. Humble people oftentimes realize that God is their defender. Now, am I saying that you should never defend yourself? No. But are you com- do you have a compulsion to defend yourself? I just want you to write these things down because for some of you, you might say, oh, that's not me, but I might come across another one up coming up and you might say, oh, that's me. I think the more humble we are, the less prideful we are, the more amazing our relationship will be with God, the more incredible our prayer life, and the more we will see God, and the more others then will see Him in us. As we see Him, we will become like Him. And obviously the ultimate of that is when we go to heaven, we see Him in His glory and in His fullness, and we become like Him, and that's when we take on our glorified bodies. Until then, I think we have the ability, and we would talk about it, we sing about it, becoming more like Jesus. Well, how do you become more like Jesus? Gritting your teeth? Nope. Become a lover. And you try to see Him a little more clearly. When we see him, we will be like him. And as we become like him, other people will see him in us. What's interesting, before I give you the signpost on the road of humility, I think it's interesting that the Bible talks about false humility. It doesn't just talk about pride and humility, it actually talks about false humility. In other words, people who fake it. So let me just pull up a couple of scriptures here. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 18 says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, head, capital H head, which means Jesus, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. In other, word, in other words, somebody who is bought into false humility is somebody who's lost perspective on their place in the body. You think, oh, look what I've done. I'm a part of the body. But you've lost perspective. You're not in line with where Jesus is going. I would say that somebody who is, has false humility doesn't give it back to Jesus. Jesus is the head. He is the one that directs the body. 
and we make sure that we realize, I am nothing without the head. In verse 23, it says, Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the, of the body. But they lack any value in, restrained, in restraining sensual indulgence. So they have the appearance of wisdom, self-imposed worship. In other words, you're worshiping because you think, oh, are you, let's change it a little bit to prayer. Self-imposed prayer. In other words, you come in and you're praying and you're seeking God not because you, you're falling in love with Jesus, but because, well, I'm, this is what I'm supposed to do and if everybody sees me praying, then they'll know that I'm humble. If they see me in the prayer center all the time, then I'm just going to be known as prayer guy. Love that. Dear Father God, Lord Jesus King. <laughs> okay? So it's not about not being prideful but then falling into false humility. But it's about being humble. So I want to give you some signposts on the road of humility. In other words, what is it that would indicate that you are actually cultivating humility in your life? Number one, you are carefully adhering to the biblical rules of submission. 1 Peter chapter 5. Starting in verse 5, yes. It says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God will lift you up if we understand submission. Number two, understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What happens if we understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is we recognize that we are dependent upon Him. Dependence is humility. Number three is that you discover what your spiritual gifts are. Romans chapter 12. Verse 3. You guys keeping up with this? That was convincing. You guys keeping up with this? Is this good? Okay. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are many from one many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. I think that we need to find our role in the body of Christ. The more we find our role in the body of Christ, the more we're going to realize we're dependent on other people. The more we realize we're dependent on other people, we recognize that it's about something bigger than us. And we're able to appreciate the other parts of the body. When you understand those things, something happens. You start to realize, I'm not so big after all, because I'm only who I am because of the rest of the body. So let's say that you're the mouth of the body. That's a pretty big part. It's a pretty visible part. But you would begin to realize that the mouth doesn't work without the heart. 
The mouth doesn't work without the lungs. The mouth doesn't work without the teeth. The mouth doesn't work without saliva. The mouth doesn't work without that thing that hangs down back there. <laughs> What's that called? Uvula. uvula. Whoever the uvula is in the body of Christ, you know, you're hanging back there and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I wish I was the mouth. Well, the mouth will appreciate you. Each person has its part. We all need each other. Number four, signpost on the road of humility, is, the no, is to know the difference between str- our strengths and our weaknesses. And part of the reason is that we will be able to understand what is a success and what is a failure. Know the difference between strengths and weaknesses. And part of the reason is because it's going to help you to understand how you were made and designed. Because we understand the body of Christ, you're going to understand that we, you do not need to be strong in every area. You need other people. God made you weak in some areas so that somebody else could be strong in that area of your life. The more you understand who you are, you're going to recognize the, your role in the body of Christ. The more you're going to appreciate the whole body. Another signpost, this is an interesting one, a signpost on the road of humility is to take risks. Yeah, risks. Somebody who's prideful isn't willing to fail. And risk gives a great possibility of failure. Humble people, I find, take greater risks than prideful people. So find, if you find that you don't ever take risks, it might be an indicator that you need to develop humility. This is what I'm trying to give you. I'm trying to give you some practical things, some things that you can kind of latch on to so that you can walk away. Because otherwise, you're going to be like, I'm going to be like, okay, be humble, you're going to hear God more. Be humble, you're going to connect with Jesus more. And you're like, okay, great, I want to be humble. I'm humble. You're like yelling it around. I'm humble, everybody. But what I want to give you is maybe some indicators that are outside of your prayer life that tie back into your prayer life. In other words, if you say, wow, I never take risks, that might be an indicator that you actually maybe aren't as humble as you think you are. And so you say, all right, I'm going to need to start working on being humble. Does that mean you need to just go out and take risks? Not necessarily. I think you need to work on being humble. Risks will be the byproduct of humility. Okay? Let's see. I think I have one more written down here. Oh, no, I have a couple more. We need to, this is another signpost, number six. Accept praise and reject flattery. signpost number six on the road of humility is that you accept praise but you reject flattery somebody who's prideful will accept them both number seven you avoid living in the achievements of the past because you ever met that person that's like back in 2000 I was all-star, championship 
football player at my high school. And you're like, back in Nam, I was... It's one of my favorite sayings these days. I don't know why, but back in Nam. Anyway, so I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care what you did a week ago. I don't care what you did a month ago. And you don't need to care either. Don't live on the achievements of your past. Can you enjoy them? Absolutely. But you know what? If I, if I find that you're talking more about them, stop it. Number eight, last one. I love this one. Number eight signpost on the road of humility is the ability to pass the glory on to others. Hmm, I love you guys. <laughs> the ability to pass the glory on to other people. Have you ever noticed that person that when somebody like says, like, yeah, I heard this, this thing the other day, and they're like, oh, that's me, that's me, that was my idea. Yeah, I heard about this guy. Oh, that was me, I did that. Have you ever seen, has any of you guys watched Saturday Night Live lately? And there's this new sketch that they've been doing, which I find absolutely hysterical. And it's this lady, girl, who I was asked to one-up everybody. Has anybody seen that one? <laughs> and she's, she talks like this. She, so it's, it's kind of like uh, somebody will say, oh yeah, so-and-so isn't here because uh, she had a baby. And she'll stand up and say, I had a baby last week, last week so yeah. And then she's just kind of out of the picture. She just needs to always one-up. And then somebody say, well, they had twins. Well, I had four babies last week. She, like, she does this. She kind of twirls her hair with her, with her finger. And then, like, she was sitting in this crowd, and they're like, please be seated. And she goes, I'm already seated. You know, like, she's always, always one-upping people, always wanting to communicate what they did. Pay attention to your words. Now, you think that's super, that's funny. And obviously, you're like, well, I wouldn't do that. Like, I, I, look, I already sat down. But like, watch yourself in your conversations. It is amazing how much we oftentimes are trying to one-up each other. Somebody will be like, oh yeah, well, I, I played in the ice bowl last weekend and I caught a touchdown. Yeah, well, I caught two. <laughs> yeah, we won one game. It was really fun. We won it in the last second. Well, we won two at the last second, so yeah. Back in high school, I got in like two accidents, and I, you know, I got in three. <laughs> Watch. Pay attention to your conversations. You will be amazed at how often you try and one-up each other. It's so natural that you don't even notice it. Pass the glory along. Maybe you, maybe you did have more this or more that, or maybe you were better at that. Be quiet and let them shut up and let them keep the glory. Let them have the, the spotlight. Let them keep it. That, let's just say that they're telling something and they did something great and you want to be like, I was amazing in high school too. Shut your mouth and let them take some credit for something. Or maybe something happens. Make sure that other people get the glory. I heard this one time recently about, a good, about leaders. I think this is in the book Good to Great. Great leaders, when there's criticism, look inward. When there's praise, look outward. Hey, you guys did such a great job. Well, I really just have an amazing team. 
you know, I think I just really don't have, I didn't really like how that went. Oh, I wonder, I'm sorry, I probably could have done something better. I'm not talking about getting walked over, I'm talking about being humble. You know, it's interesting that I, I find that the, oftentimes the amount of pride we have, or in, excuse me, the amount of insecurity that we have will oftentimes turn into pride. In other words, somebody who, who is um, struggling with something, maybe it's, maybe, they're, maybe it's weight, maybe it's smoking, maybe, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, grades, maybe, I mean, it could be anything. And they're insecure about that. They're insecure about something that they don't do right or they don't do very well, something like that. And then they overcome it. I find it's interesting that if they're over here on the insecurity pendulum, that oftentimes what will happen is if they overcome it, they get over here and they swing into the pride spectrum. Where they were in the insecurity spectrum, they oftentimes don't go here. They actually swing over here. Make sure that we are landing in the humility on the humility road. Let's be humble people. I would love, instead of maybe the furnace being known as the prayer people, I know that there's lots of other things that the furnace does, but obviously that's one of the things that I think, I, I don't know about you, but I hear. You know, like, what's the furnace? Oh, it's prayer. What if it was like, what's the furnace? I don't know, but it's a bunch of humble people. Who's, a, who's in the furnace? That humble guy over there. You know, I'm not sure, but I, you know, man, I've been interacting with the furnace lately. They are the most amazing, humble people I've ever met. And I bet if that were to be said, your prayers would be more effective. Your prayers, your relationship with God, your interaction with Dad would be that much more powerful. I bet. Okay, next two weeks. <laughs> I want you to pray. Just use dad. No more than twice in a prayer time. Now that doesn't mean like 22 minute prayer times in a row. I mean one prayer time. Call him dad and tell me what happens. And then look at yourself. Which road are you on? Which signpost do you see as you're going down the road? you see pride signposts or are you seeing humility signposts? The Bible says in Psalm chapter 51, we'll end with this. Verse 17. The sacrifice of God, sacrifice, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You know what a broken and contrite heart is? It's humility. God won't despise it. I believe that God is saying, if you come to me in humility and brokenness, I will respond. I can't not respond. I must respond to you. I can't help it. I just can't help myself. A broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. Let's stand up and pray together.
Lord Jesus, we love you. God, our desire is to be people that are not just good prayers, but we're great lovers. That we are people who know how to not just say the right words in prayer, but actually connect with you in prayer. Knowing that our prayers matter. Knowing that our prayers do something. But not to just pray because the prayer is the end, but actually that it is the road to intimacy and the road to fruit. And I pray that that fruit of our lives would be humility. God, make this group, make our generation a generation who's full of humility. Take the pride out of our lives and insert, infuse humility into each one of us. Make us a humble people. Take out any false humility. Take out any pride. Help us to, to look to you, to know our dependence on you, that our dependence on each other, our dependence upon your spirit, our dependence upon the body, our dependence, God, and to authentically be humble. And finally, God, I pray that each one of us would recognize you as dad. Help us to be great sons, great daughters. I pray for intimacy. The kind of intimacy that can happen in just an incredible, powerful way between an amazing dad and his children. Help us to know you as dad. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.